This is a Soulfire production. everybody welcome back to another episode of politically homeless we're here we're doing the thing we're doing our best we're trying to make it happen i've had a rough week i have had a rough week i had some back stuff going on my back was fucked and i knew that would happen about a year ago i tore my meniscus on my right knee and very prone to back issues as it is in my lumbar area that's the lower part of your back if you don't know you're not keen to anatomy um but yeah just like fucking drained me man it's funny, it, you know, we're doing this here. It's Saturday morning. I'm trying to get this knocked out before our housewarming party. We got a lot going on. Uh, I wanted to get this done, and I get really frustrated with myself when I don't get these shows out on Thursday. I like to record them on Wednesday evening uh, so that they're there for Thursday for everybody. But I also, I get caught in this trap of, like, is the con- content going to be the quality that I want? Am I going to be able to put this together? It takes a lot of energy to do this, as as I'm sure you guys know. Um yeah, when my back's fucked up, it's been such a big part of my life that it just like messes with my head. I got shitty sleep because, of course, that's like the, that's the spiral you go down, right? When you have some kind of pain going on, it's like, oh, then well, then you roll around when you're sleeping, and that's not really working out for you. And then your sleep is shitty, then you're in a bad mood. I was just like, my brain did not, it just, I wasn't clicking, and it was driving me absolutely insane. Like yesterday was a terrible day. So I ended up just going and like scouting antelope and driving around and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Uh, because the hunting season for me starts tomorrow, which I'm very, very, very excited about. I know I talk about that a little bit on this show, even though it's not relevant to anything that we do here, but it's important to me. But anyways, I really want to apologize and just let you guys know I was having a little bit of a, a physical health slash mental health uh, moment <laughs> as far as that goes the last like four or five days, but I've been trying to get back in the gym and trying to do what it is. And it's, it's frustrating whenever it's, that was such a big part of my life for so long, like being an athlete pretty much my whole life. Um, and then being frustrated that my back injury kept me out of football and then taking that frustration into CrossFit and powerlifting and or not weight powerlifting, weightlifting and uh, strongman, these different events. Uh, that I really loved and then having that feeling like that's like slowly slipping out of my fingers messes with my head so bad but I'll figure it out I'll figure it out I need to get back on testosterone that's next after we do this IVF round and they take out my my little swimmers and they get ready to put them in a little you know combine them with the egg to do their biological matchmaking got to get back on testosterone it just makes everything feel better you don't know that testosterone is a hell of a drug it's a hell of a drug uh, interesting how much, when you do something like that, if you've ever been on any kind of hormone therapy, man or woman, uh, maybe you're doing some kind of fertility treatment or have taken HCG, or maybe you've gone full out and done uh, testosterone of different varieties. Maybe you go get some TRT, some replacement therapy. Uh, maybe you buy it from Mexico. I don't know and don't really care, but I will tell you this. It changes your complete outlook on life. You, you'll, you'll look at this. And, I mean, if you do, if you change, if you start playing with your endocrine system, if you start playing around with the levels of testosterone that are flowing through your, through your body, it changes the way you make decisions. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you act, the way you walk, the way you talk. It's very strange. And it's, it is addicting in its own way. Not chemically addicting like you would say like meth is or something like that or nicotine or coffee even. Uh, but... That it, that is it's 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 a rough thing to come off of. 
is rough. And I'm, I'm excited to get to just dabble back in it just because I'm now I'm a little older. I want that sex drive at, at a 10 <laughs> most of the time. And, um, it's one of those things where I'm like, fuck it. Right. As long as we got, as long as we got the IVF, that's one of the cool things about IVF. They just keep my little seed in a refrigerator somewhere. And whenever we're ready, they just, just do the thing, you know, the thing. But anyways, I want to give a really big shout out to Eileen, Kevin, and Taylor. We had a good week in the Patreon today. Uh, the Politically Homeless Premium community is growing. Eileen, Kevin, Taylor, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, Eileen, we got to have a conversation about your name. I don't know how old you are, Eileen, but that's a fucking dope name. That is a dope name. And I think we need to bring names like that back. I think we need more names like Eileen floating around in the next generation. You know, I know Karen is kind of out, but like my grandmother's name, Brenda, Nancy, her, her sister, Beulah is my other grandma's name. Like we need, what the fuck are people thinking when they came up with those names? Who names their child Beulah? But I think we should do it. I think we should bring it back. Because the thing about this is, these kids, especially if you have, if you're gonna have like well-off children who have a sensitive life, you should name them something just fucking absurd. Not like apple or tree or whatever the fuck people name their kids now, but like something, some old school name that's just completely out of step with reality of our current world. That's what I think you should do. Beulah, what an interesting name. Beulah, her name was Beulah. She's still still alive. She's crazy. Beulah Lear, L E H R. Beulah Lear. That's a that's is that that's that's just that's something. And I think if your name is Beulah, it's gonna shape shape your life. You know, I think it's going to shape your life a lot, but, um, just my two cents there, Eileen, you spun me down the rabbit hole with that dope ass name of yours. Now, some big news came out. We got a lot, we got a lot to cover this week and I've been really bummed because I've been wanting to get the show. I've been thinking about this a lot and it takes a lot of my brain juice to do this kind of thing. Cause I don't, I'm, I've got a third grade reading level, as you guys know. And um, probably a mild amount of CTE from all the all the football, so and other things among other things. I once was um, I went out worked oil and gas construction. I was cutting a piece of pipe with a pipe cutter. Probably don't know what that is, but that's okay. And we had it in a bind, so we had a a winch truck pulling up on this piece of pipe. And I was using the pipe cutter, which goes around the pipe. And uh, I thought I had broken it, and it didn't do anything. I was like, okay, cool, it's good. So I leaned over and pulled the pipe cutter off, and that pipe was stuck wedged together and like a boomerang came up and slapped me in the side of the head. Now if it would have hit me in the mouth, I would have lost all my teeth. I'd be rocking dentures right now, but it hit me in the side of the head. So I just had a severe concussion and that kind of thing happened routinely throughout my young life, which has led to me being a little bit crazy. I think just a little off kilter, but you got to be kind of crazy to do this kind of thing to wade into the darkness so anyways, big news happened this week. And, you know, this is something that came and really struck me and shook me up a little bit. Something that I found very heavy. Robin from the popular uh, comic book series Batman has come out as bisexual. He is bisexual. He likes titties and dicks. And that's great. I mean, I guess, I guess that's great for him, but it really disappointed me. Because I always just assumed that Robin was gay. And I don't understand. I've gotten this a lot. Maybe Robin's in this place 
in his coming out phase, and I know a lot of gay men struggle with this, right? Especially when they're coming out as younger men, even though Robin is like 140 years old. <laughs> um, where you're like, okay, I'm like, I like dudes, but maybe I like both, whatever. You're in that like bi phase of coming out as gay. And I think that's probably where Robin's at if I was to assume, but I don't want to assume what his desires are. I don't want to have any assumptions of what Robin's desires are. But I want him to know, I want to put this out there because I'm assuming that Robin and Batman listen to this while they're doing stuff in the Batcave. You know, that they've got this playing on the Bluetooth in the Batcave. If you think that we won't accept you, Robin, because you're gay, if you think that Bruce Wayne won't accept you because you're gay, that's not a reason to pretend to be bi. It's not at all. We'll love you regardless. You know, you're out there cleaning up Gotham. So I don't really care what you do sexually. So as long as you're keeping the streets of Gotham safe for all of us. So if you're bi, that's great. If you're not, if you're gay, that's also great. Whatever you need. If you feel, maybe you feel pressured to be bi because you don't want to be an oppressor. Maybe you're just a very feminine straight man. That's great too. Do what you need to do, Robin. We're here for you. We've got you. Now, if you want to be a part of the Patreon community, the Politically Homeless Premium Community, go to patreon.com slash politically homeless. It's $6 a month. That's not much. That's not much. But now, since we're an expanding brand, we have other ways that you can support the show. Right now, I'm wearing a Politically Homeless t-shirt. Very nice. Very soft. For those of you that did the pre-orders, I appreciate that. I know that's a long process. Like We're used to getting things in like two days, and that was like three weeks because we had to print them get everything in order, create the infrastructure to get this stuff out, see what the demand was going to be. And the demand has been actually very high. Now that we have them in stock, now I'm trying to do the best I can um, using the money from Patreon to buy apparel to keep in stock to sell apparel. It's like this never-ending circle jerk of of small business and uh, brand building. But lots of ways to support the show. Now, if you're a part of the Patreon community and as part of the premium community, then you do get 10% off all the merch, whether it's the Yetis, uh, the Yeti tumblers, which are actually Yetis. I can say that they're not tumblers. They, people just say tumblers. The Daily Wire has leftist tears tumblers. No. If you're going to fucking do it, get a Yeti. You know what I mean? It's an American company. I know a lot of their stuff comes from overseas, but that's kind of unavoidable for them, I think. Anyways, a lot of the stuff is manufactured here in America, which I do like. And I know a lot of these people that hate China, like Turning Point USA, get all of their merch from China. <laughs> Which is fine. I do the best I can to keep things local, small businesses, um, which isn't the the best way to get things to you fast, but it's the best way to support the small businesses in our country, which I find very important. But anyways, you can check out the merch stores at politicallyhomeless.us. Check that out as well. But go to the Patreon. Check it out. Try it out. Okay? Pay for a month. Six bucks. See if it's worth it. You can always bail. But it's a great way to support creators. And that's one thing out here. We're all fighting for attention. We're all fighting for an edge. And supporting us via the Patreon, one, it means a lot to me. It really does. It really does. And regardless of how I feel, the Patreon community always gets that bonus episode every week that is crowdsourced from the premium community. So we put in a topic request every week. People drop in what they want to talk about. And we dive in. We have a good time. And the more people that are in there, the more we can expand what we do. I want to bring in just kind of a live conversation, um, trying to figure out the infrastructure for that. That is not an easy thing to pull off. But we're trying to bring it. We're trying to expand it. And the more people that are in there, the more we can do and the better the conversation is. So if you want to be a part of that conversation, patreon.com slash politically homeless. Got to put that out there. Got to get shameless self-promotion is important in this world. But with that being said, if you want to support the show in some other way, check out the merch 
And also, if you want to be do it for free, you can just go to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. Five stars. I keep hitting the wrong button for the state of things, but now it's that time. Now it's that time for the state of things. Let's dive in. we got a lot to talk about this week. So much happened. Some good, some other good, some bad, and a little bit of fuckery. Let's dive in. those of you that are new to the show, I'm talking about hitting the wrong button. I do it on my sound mixing over myself. Live, like a real DJ. When you watch these videos, I put those, I, I use a software where I can switch videos, play videos, change the music, do all that stuff in real time myself. I want you to be impressed with me. That's why I say that. I want you to fuel my ego. I want to feel like I can do whatever I want. I want to become the Andrew Cuomo of podcasting where you can just grab a handful of titty when you want a handful of titty and no one asks any questions. But that might require me to resign as Andrew Cuomo has effective in just a few days, about a week, about, uh, I said 14 days whenever it happens. So by the time you see this, it'll be close. Now as Lieutenant Governor is going to fill in, don't know much about her. We're going to figure out more about her, but I wanted to break into just like kind of do a little post-mortem on this whole situation because we've got Andrew here. He's going to say what he needs to say. He's going to kind of take the line of it's kind of a witch hunt. And I also learned something from it, which is those kind of things conflict, but whatever. And then we're going to talk about uh, Brian Stelter kind of got called out because it was on the Colbert show, which is great. We see like classic Colbert and he gets called out <laughs> for Chris Cuomo advising uh, Andrew on how to deal with these sexual assault allegations, which is a conflict of interest for the leading anchor on CNN. And then we're just going to go check out the media fawning that was happening around Andrew Cuomo while he was killing grandmas in nursing homes is atrocious handling of COVID. Um, when they contrast him to Trump, who also did a terrible job with COVID. I'm not going to defend both of these guys are the same. You have, they're the same. They're the New York guys with a lot of power with rich daddies who got to do whatever the fuck they wanted. And now we're somehow in these positions of leadership, which they do not deserve at all. He is the Democrat version of Trump. And I hate him just as much, just as much. Maybe it's, maybe I have a principled stance. Maybe I just hate spoiled fucking entitled douchebags who, whatever it is, whatever it is, these two motherfuckers are the same. Now I do want to say this before we get into this. I really appreciate that people in leader positions of, of power were willing to stand up and be like, this guy needs to resign. They had the votes to impeach is what happened. That's why he's resigning. Don't get it twisted, right? This arrogant fuck did not just resign because it was the right thing to do. They had the votes to impeach and he probably wants to do some kind of redemption tour. And throughout all this, he's going to like kind of, this is going to um, uh, kind of cover up or overlap. I don't want to say it's not necessarily like cover up in this situation, although there were cover ups when it came to the nursing home deaths, but this will become what the scandal that he's remembered for not the nursing home situation. Now we'll see if the Lieutenant governor comes out with anything interesting about the nursing home deaths or any more data because he fucked over so many people to get to where he is that he has no friends left, right? He either fucked people over or sexually assaulted them. Like that's where he's at. And the corrupt, the corrupt politics in New York, just an incredibly corrupt place and has been for a long time, right? I listened to a podcast about it. Just talking about the, like the, the foundation of that, of that, uh, that, that government is just 
steeped in corruption. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? You've got you've got investment bankers, hedge funds, Wall Street. Like it's it's, it's like it's just the it is the swamp in very many ways. Now, New York can be a cool place. I personally think it's a giant pile of trash. That's me. Okay, I'm sure Albany is nice, and upstate New York seems really nice. But as far as like what New York is known for, which is New York City, that place disgusts me, and it smells like pee, and it's very loud. Do not like it. So this doesn't really like. New York politics don't interest me because why would I give a shit about what's going on in what I consider a gigantic pile of trash and a corrupt cesspool? So, anyways, here's what Cuomo has to say about his resignation. Let's dive right in. This situation, by its current trajectory, will generate months of political and legal controversy. That is what is going to happen. That is how the political wind is blowing. It will consume government. It will cost taxpayers millions of dollars. It will brutalize people. The State Assembly yesterday outlined weeks of process that will then lead to months of litigation. Time and money that government should spend managing COVID guarding against the Delta variant, reopening upstate, fighting gun violence, and saving New York City. All that time would be wasted. This is one of the most challenging times for government in a generation. Government really needs to function today. Government needs to perform. It is a matter of life and death government operations. And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. And I cannot be the cause of that. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. And I love you. And everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. And I would never want to be unhelpful in any way. And I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant. And so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly. And my resignation will be effective in 14 days. Cool. Okay. So there we go with that. That's kind of what he had to say. And he's talking about, a, you know, he goes on and on. It's, it's like 20 minutes of him rambling, not worth listening to, but that's kind of the gist of it. Now, this is interesting because I loved Colbert when he took over the Daily Show, right? When, he, when he, even the Colbert, before the Daily Show, wait, what did he take over the Daily Show? The Colbert Report, whichever one it was. Um, 
he was fantastic and he played this character, right? And then he kind of became that character. It's very weird. Uh, he came this like darling of the sweethearts or the sweetheart of the, of the, of the Democrats and just became like this like neoliberal shill, which is really frustrating because people like John Stewart, who also had a very similar, similar character he played, kept himself incredibly principled, which I respect and, and admire John Stewart for so many things, right? And maybe don't necessarily degree, uh, agree with him on everything, but if you're somebody who like supports America and is patriotic, just think about what the, and don't, maybe you don't agree with his politics, think about what he did for the 9-11 first responders and survivors of that event, right? They were about to get cut off from government support on that situation while these people, they were, they were saying that uh, these people that had died from inhaling, these first responders had died from inhaling all of that, uh, that powder and the toxins in that and we're getting high rates of cancer they were just going to dump them on their ass which is a, a very american thing to do and john stewart made a huge stink about that and made sure those people were taken care of as they should have been like that's to me that's patriotic that's america first that's holding people to account and so just on that alone without the daily show that's all he ever did I would admire him for the rest of my life because of his action and putting his money where his mouth is which we just don't see very often anymore. So Colbert had a similar line and he's changed quite a bit, but here he is actually pressing Brian Stelter quite a bit. And I want to, I want you, I want you guys to check in on this. And this is about what was going on at CNN and the media fawning. And you'll see what Stelter has to say. And then we're going to play a clip of just kind of what that looked like. In a small way, your network is involved in this story because of course the governor's brother, Chris Cuomo has his show, the Cuomo zone, on, uh, is that what it's, it's called? I don't remember what it's called, but the Cuomo, Cuomo zone. Prime Time. Cuomo Prime, three, 360 Cuomos. And, <laughs> and he, the New York Times, has just reported, a, a report just dropped because it had been alleged that he was helping his brother with his, you know, his communications team. New York Times is reporting that that's true. Chris was helping his brother. What's, has that created any conflict over at CNN behind closed doors? Are people mad at him or is he, is he in trouble? Some people are mad at him. By the way, I can confirm the New York Times report. I'll, I'll confirm it for your viewers. I also have a source that says Chris was on the phone with his brother this week. Is your source Chris him. Cuomo? He is not. He is not. You got to have boundaries. You got to draw a line. Why? Yeah. He doesn't. Uh, I think he does, actually. Really? I think Chris does. I don't know about the governor. What are the boundaries? I think Chris does. What are the boundaries? The boundary that, that CNN management presented to him in May when, when they admitted he screwed up. They said, yeah. you know, what you did was inappropriate. You were on the phone with your brother's aides advising them on what to do, and that was inappropriate. But they said, of course you're going to talk to your brother. You know, there's nothing more important. But he than didn't talk about more. his brother once the trouble started. He That's said, I'm right. not going to talk about my brother. And that was also a management ruling. And so the but way why didn't I they rule that this. way when his brother was on the show pretty much every night uh, during the yeah, COVID crisis? I think it's really that complicated. That seems like an odd... Yeah, that does seem quite odd, Stephen. Very odd that they could praise him, but they can't criticize him. Weird how that worked out. Odd uh, conflict of rules. It is an odd conflict, but I don't think uh, if we open up the journalism ethics book, there's no page for this. It's the, the craziest set of circumstances you can imagine, right? A governor and a brother, both in these high-profile jobs... Uh, this was definitely awkward for CNN, though. Sure. I, I tried to go into this thinking, okay, if I was going to cover this at CBS, how would I cover it? And try to cover it the same way. And I talked to a lot of sources at CNN. Some said, yeah, this is really weird. I'm ticked off at Chris. Others said, you know, I understand. You can't pick who your family members are. So there was a wide range of opinions. And, and overall, I think what was most important is that we covered the story on air just the same we would any other story. Ultimately, isn't that what matters? 
Sorry about that music, guys. Okay, so that was that. Now, I want we, we, we can look at this and kind of like remember choice pieces of the whole situation. But I want you to, we're going to go in the Wayback Machine here. And Glenn Greenwald posted this fantastic clip. It's so funny. But just to remember what the coverage of Andrew Cuomo was like throughout that first like eight to 10 months of COVID. Uh, while many people like on, on uh, Rising, that which is now Breaking Points, or I will, Crystal and Sager, who are on Rising, are now on Breaking Points. We're talking about nursing home deaths and what was going on, the ha- actual the actual handling of COVID in New York. This is what the coverage was like over on CNN. David, we're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's press conference, his daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't, honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the president of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one, than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you would sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, I think, is is one of the heroes on on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become, in some ways, the shadow uh, president. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm going to go teach my kids right now at home. So yeah, they covered that story in a very unbiased and uh, ethical way. And that's how they covered Andrew Cuomo. So and we got to also remember he wrote this book about leadership during COVID and the lessons in leadership via COVID. And he used taxpayer money to have somebody write that book. He obviously didn't write it himself. He got a $5 million advance, which he got $3 million of. And the other $2 million were supposed to happen after a certain amount. But there's contingencies in that contract, I'm sure, where if you make yourself a, a national embarrassment, you probably don't get that $2 million uh, because the, they're never going to recoup that. The book sold like 50,000 copies, maybe. So they didn't, I mean, that the, whoever the publisher was lost their ass on this deal. So that, that all happened as well. And this isn't some, some segment where I'm going to tell you how to think or what to think or any of this kind of thing. This is just me being like, here's the, here's what was going on. Here's the, here's the situation. We know about the nursing homes. That's going to get brought up down the road. His national, I believe his national aspirations are dead. He'll probably try to have some kind of redemption tour and do something. I just don't see him like he was, he was a, a, a contender for the democratic nomination for president going into 2024. I'm sure is since Kamala's shit is going, you know, her ship is sailing quickly. Um, I don't think he's a good. I don't think he's a good, a good candidate. I don't think it's going to happen even without all of this. But that being said, here we are looking at like this guy, you know, circling the drain as far as his political aspirations. I've had people argue with me saying that he'll he'll come back. People will forget about it. I don't think so. I think it's done. And I think it's a better thing for everybody. And I want to look at this and say, like, hey, you know, maybe he's not getting held to account for the nursing home deaths, which I think is atrocious. I'm frustrated that it took, you know, a, a flurry of sexual assault allegations to get him out whenever there was plenty of reason for him to be held to account on other things. But let's just take the W. You know, somebody who is a fucking piece of shit was held to account. A leader who took advantage of their position uh, in many ways. 
whether that be corruption or or leveraging his position to assault women, um, these are all things that he was held. To, these are things he was held to account for in some certain way, and is no longer in his leadership position. So let's take the W. Let's move on. And I'm gra- I'm really grateful to see. Andrew Cuomo out on his ass and him be getting embarrassed in the way that he should be embarrassed for his handling. And, and for, I mean, we can call like, Hey, you know, the nursing home thing, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was an honest mistake. We didn't know what was going on. A lot of shit was happening. And, and we think back to the first few months of this, like it was so confusing. Maybe you can write that off, but that compounded with everything else really show who show this man's character. And I'm really, like I said, grateful that people were willing to stand up and people that had to risk people that really had to risk. Once it became the popular thing to do to like stand up against this guy, I don't give those people as much credit, but the people that put them, put their necks on the line to do the right thing. That's who I respect and appreciate in this situation. And, you know, I'm glad to see even the Democrats, the left, if you want to call it that, uh, holding this guy to account, not making excuses for him, except for, you know, like Brian Stelter, who is an ultimate uh, egg-headed cuck. So yeah, let's move on. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Listen, we've been selling the shit out of this stuff. Like, they are very stoked. They also love my ad reads. Because here's the thing. This is no bullshit, all right? I had Element today. We have our, we're having our housewarming party today. We're going to have Element out for everybody to enjoy. And we're going to be drinking a little bit, too. And it's that time of year, man. Get out. Be around your friends. Break COVID regulations to have a fucking pool party. And when you do it, get yourself some grapefruit, lemon habanero, watermelon, lemon lime. These things are so good. And you can mix them strong. If you, if you mix them with just a little bit of water, like not the full 16 or 20 ounces like you can, because you have that flexibility, right? It's good, but it depends on, depends on how strong you want it. Right, so if you want, if you wanted a little bit more watery, maybe you're going on a hike, you can throw it in that camel pack. Maybe throw two in your camel pack, shake that bitch up, boom, boom, you've got ultimate hydration on your hike. But if you want to make a cocktail, boom, just mix it with like six ounces of water, throw a little tequila in there. I like Jim and Bolt Mezcal if you can find it. It's definitely it's a local Colorado brand, but look for it because it is delicious. Throw that in there with a little bit of lemon habanero, bam, dude, you got something. You got a, you got a beautiful beverage right there. That is a beautiful beverage that will hydrate you and can give you a little buzz. No big deal. Now, if you're one of those snack daddies like me, another thing I like to use Element for is curving cravings at night. So if I'm trying to like lean up a bit of a little bit, maybe I got a little crazy with the snackies. You never know what's going on, right? It's a lot of a lot of those things happen in, in life. Well, something sweet and cold for whatever reason for me. Helps helps kind of uh, scratch that itch for me. Now in the winter time, that chocolate with hot water, dude, you don't even know, right? That's something. That's something else. It's a different world we live in now. But anyways, I, I love it for that too. But generally speaking, man, just that hydration that the way, the way it soaks into your body is like that. It's just so refreshing, guys. And the people over at Elemental Labs, co-founded by Rob Wolf, who has just pioneered some incredible health and fitness changes, um, and kind of the changing the 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 zeitgeist around health and fitness. Like this guy has done so many amazing things. Not some bullshit snake oil stuff. Like really changed the conversation around what health is, what healthy eating is, and how we can go about living better, healthier lives, more free lives. That's the kind of person that Rob Wolf is. Full of integrity. Really amazing guy. And I, I respect and appreciate him so much. That's why I get so kind of convicted when I'm reading these ads. So if you want to try the sample pack, you can get all the key flavors. Uh, just go to drink element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. We're going to be changing that promo code soon. But drinkelement.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes of this show. 
And you can get that variety pack. Just cover shipping. It's five bucks. I recommend grab that. Take advantage of that offer. Of course, you can try stuff out. But grab yourself some grapefruit and uh, watermelon and or preferably both. They're both really good and great for the summer. And it's nice. They kind of have like these different flavors are different for different times of year. In the wintertime, I'm a big lemon habanero and chocolate guy. In the summertime, I'm like grapefruit, watermelon. Those are my jams. So check them out, guys. DrinkElement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. We've been selling a ton of this stuff, and I think we should just keep it going because um, we're about that time for the uh, contact con- contract renegotiation with Elemental Lab. So if you really want to help me out... <laughs> Because if you're hearing this ad, you're not in the Patreon, right? So if you're hearing this ad, you need to support the show. And you could do that by getting your happy ass over to drinkelement.com slash wanders and getting your variety pack plus some other goodies. Love you guys. Enjoy it. Stay moist, baby. Stay moist. Healthcare in this country is it's a hot topic. It is a very hot topic. There's a lot of stuff going on. We have a lot of conversations to have. Should we move to socialized healthcare? Should we do a single payer? Should we have a public option? These are all things that I feel are valid, right? And you hear things like socialism being thrown around and whatever. And we, you know, we have this kind of America first contingency on the right who's just like so steeped in what I would call nationalism, what they call patriotism. That's really frustrating um, to even have this dialogue because we need to look at our healthcare system. And I, when I, I want to be clear here. When I think about our healthcare system, I think about it as more than just pharmaceutical, hospital trauma, that kind of stuff, right? Like ERs, like that's, I think a lot of ways, like our ER system is pretty robust. Um, I think that the innovation that we do create, and I'll, I'll give one to the libertarians, we are a very innovative country in the way that we create um, treatments. But I do think the incentive structure within our healthcare system is incredibly fucked. I think that the incentives within our healthcare system incentivize lack of wellness. And that's something that I I find very atrocious. I think that we need to be really mindful when we look at politicians, when we look at our healthcare system, when we look at the financial industry, these things, and look at what the incentives are, right? Like the financial industry, for example, I think we can all see that the incentive is instability, whether it's shorting big stocks, manipulation of the stock market, um, boom bust cycles, which really every time generate massive transfers of wealth upward, that, that the incentive is instability. So we will continue to see instability. The incentive in the healthcare industry, in my opinion, is lack of wellness. So we continue, we will continue to see lack of wellness. So let's just check out this article here from the daily caller, which is a right leaning publication. U S has lowest life expectancy and worst healthcare out of 11 richest Nations. Okay, let's read through this here. A new analysis of by the Commonwealth Fund found that the United States has the worst healthcare system among the, among the 11 rich countries of the world, despite spending more in the sector than all of its peers. The analysis examined 71 different performance measures across five broad categories, including access to care, the care process, administrative efficiency, equity, and healthcare outcomes. The U.S. came in last place behind Australia, Canada, France, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, and the U.K., America's healthcare system ranked last in each of the five categories except the care process, which is what people talk about, right? So the care process is like, well, in Canada, you have to wait six months to see a doctor, which isn't true, but in some certain ways it is. That being said, I have this torn meniscus, which I was talking about on, um, on the, uh, 
on the intro of the show, right? My just torn meniscus that's been causing me problems. Didn't want to get surgery, but even if I wanted to get surgery, it's a three month to six month wait to get in for surgery. So you can't really use that argument unless it was an emergency, right? If my knee exploded, I would get surgery right away because that's how it should go. But we got to keep in mind, like, there's a lot of propaganda here and there's a lot of money behind the information that you see and receive uh, on social media and elsewhere and even on, on mainstream media, especially because they're struggling with their ad revenue as it is. And a lot of those ads are for pharmaceutical medications, which I think if I was president today, boom, executive order, you can no longer advertise pharmaceutical drugs on the TV. Like that's not a thing. Most countries, these other countries that ranked above us, they don't have commercials on their, their primary channels for pharmaceutical companies. That's just not a thing. And that should not be a thing. That is absolutely fucked. You're creating a, a, a market for pharmaceuticals. Like you should go to your doctor. Your doctor should do that. Your doctor should recommend the medication and he should be having those conversations. Not, hey, if you feel this way, you should diagnose yourself and then go ask your doctor about this thing. And this doctor is going to spend five minutes with you and write the script because why not? Because they get fucking paid. Right. So the incentive structure is so fucking wacky. And that's what creates the situation, which is essentially what I call just a Russian nesting doll of scams. It's a scam within a scam within a scam. And we're getting completely fucking hosed. So let's call that out and call it what it is. And I blame the incentive structure. While the United States ranks highly among, among uh, highly in mammogram rates, flu vaccinations, and the percentage of adults who spoke with their doctor about smoking, nutrition, and drinking, even though doctors know shit about nutrition. More than half of the low-income Americans said healthcare was a cost prohibitive was cost prohibitive for them. The U.S. also ranked last in life expectancy and had the highest infant mortality rates in eleven countries of the eleven countries. The U.S. has two healthcare systems for Americans with the means and insurance to have a regular doctor and reported experience of, with their day-to-day healthcare and relative are relatively good. But those who lack access, the consequences are stark. So we keep that in mind. Eric Schrader said that to the Hill. Yeah. So we have to keep in mind that, right? There is a bunch of people that like do, if they, ha- if you have an office job, if you're not a gig worker, if you're not working, you know, at some like minimum wage bullshit job, you're going to have decent healthcare. But if you lose that job or if you decide to go solo, you decide to start your own business, which I did, like my Cobra coverage was like $950 a month. I was like, I can't obviously can't afford that. I'm literally putting any, every dime I have into this business I'm trying to create here. Um, Really strange to see that happen, right? So we do have the situation where some people have an unrealistic view of the healthcare system because they have kind of preferential access to that. And I've experienced both sides of it so I can understand that. I could experience a situation where I needed an MRI and uh, had to pay for it out of cash because I didn't have insurance, right? And I've also been in a situation where I get, you know, A-class treatment, VIP treatment because I have good insurance and they take you in, you get this whole thing. It's like two different, completely different systems based upon where you sit economically, which I think is atrocious. I really do. The Commonwealth Fund is a healthcare advocacy group seeking to promote a high-performing healthcare system that achieves better access, improved quality, and greater efficiency, particularly for society's most vulnerable, impacting low-income people and the uninsured and people of color. The U.S. placed uh, placed last in the fund's measure of health care of wealth. Excuse me. The U.S. placed last in the fund's measure of wealth health care system in every interaction since 20, 2004. Not really sure what that means. It's a very weird written sentence. It goes on to say, if healthcare were an Olympic sport, the U.S. might not qualify in a competition with other high-income nations. Yeah, so we went, not even that we wouldn't medal, we wouldn't even qualify. And I want to discuss this, and I wanted to bring this up because healthcare has become a a, a bigger topic uh, since 
since COVID has happened, right? So we have this this really big conversation around healthcare, what needs to happen. Of course, Bernie Sanders talked a lot about this since 2015. I mean, before that, but on the national stage, stage since 2015, talking about a Medicare for all plan, which I don't think is necessarily the move. And I wanted to just kind of sit here and ramble about this a bit because I feel it's important to just like put these thoughts out there and get feedback. So definitely DM me if you have any ideas here or any thoughts, leave comments on the video, do whatever you need to do. But when we look at the incentives of healthcare, and we think about the level of influence they have within our policymaking, right? So they can influence public opinion via propaganda. They can influence policy via paying for politicians. And we're seeing that a ton, right? Joe Manchin, his daughter was is a CEO for a pharmaceutical company, which, by the way, just laid off a bunch of people and moved a bunch of their stuff overseas. So thanks to you, Joe Manchin, and your family for doing exactly what you preach against. Um, anyways, moving on. So... We've got the situation where the incentive structure of pharmaceutical industry, we, I think we can all agree, is fucked up, right? The incentive structure and the consequences of things like OxyContin, right, with very little accountability. I think they were fined like a billion dollars, which is just isn't that much for a company that's making that much money and has caused that much devastation in our country, right? We also have to think about where we invest and how we incentivize uh, agriculture and food systems, right? Other countries, if a food is fucking the country up, right? They're going to probably create a different situation around that. If you're going to tax alcohol and cigarettes with a sin tax, right, which is odd, but if you're going to do that, you should also be taxing uh, uh, um, Twinkies, um, ice cream cakes, like what, what, what the fuck, like this shit that's like really killing people. Like sugar kills more people than any drug, right? And we have a situation too where that's the cheapest food. So you subsidize corn and soy, Right, so taxpayer money to subsidize corn, subsidize corn and soy, which pushes people, which incentivizes people away from regenerative agriculture, which is a huge problem, which causes erosion, environmental devastation, fires. You know, we can talk about global warming in that situation as well. But really, if we if we even zoom in outside of like the broader concepts, just like ruining creeks, rivers, wildlife habitat, like I said, massive amounts of erosion, uh, shitty soil quality that's imp- almost impossible to revive. These things we 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 incentivize people to do that. Not to create crop rotation, uh, give tax cuts to small farms, um, sustainable uh, su- sustainable raising of cattle and processing of cattle through um, a, a huge lean and bias towards grass-fed, grass-finished ranches, which it will increase the quality of health and the quality of food access to everyone else by shifting the uh, de- uh, supply and demand structures. These are all things we could do. They're all very doable, and they're actually doable at the state level. I'd love to see Colorado or Texas, who are a big cattle producers, do something like this, right? Where it's like, hey, let's let's really give, let's have a bias towards instead of a bias towards systems and processes that are going to fuck the environment and fuck people over. Let's bias towards things that are actually going to improve the quality of life of animals, farmers, and the people that consume their products. Right, but we don't think that way because the incentive structure, like I said, is fucked. And I consider the food system a part of the healthcare system because those two things go together in such an interesting way. Not to mention that 43% of this country is obese. So we have this conversation around COVID and we're freaking out because 104 people out of 16 million died of the Delta variant in the past month. But we're not, we're not keeping in mind, well, most of those people were probably obese or elderly, which elderly you can't do anything about, but obesity you absolutely can. That's a behavioral issue and a health issue, not so much a COVID issue, 
right? And we don't ever have that conversation. One of the reasons I lack trust in the institutions that are giving us advice on this whole situation is because we haven't said, hey, yeah, maybe the vaccine will be good for you if, for, you know, maybe that's the move for you. And also in, in, in combination with the vaccine, get outside, start walking around the block, buy a kettlebell, do whatever. I mean, I, I want to give CrossFit a lot of credit because they put out a lot of free workouts and movement standards and tutorials so people could work out at home for free. Like that, that's something that, and a lot of people were doing that, but I noticed it big time with CrossFit in particular. It's like, here's how you squat. Here's how you do a push up. Here's some things you can do at home. Here's how you can deadlift a kettlebell. Those things are important. And I don't understand why there wasn't an outreach to a company like that. Who's very well known and saying, Hey, can you guys come in and do a press conference on, on some ways that people can move and start to stay a little healthier and maybe leverage this time that they have in lockdown to become healthier. That was never part of the conversation because that's not the, that's not where the incentives lie. The incentive if, if everybody in this country was healthier and made healthier decisions, that would collapse the economy. Our economy relies on fucking fat people, on obese people who make poor health decisions. Coca-Cola is a powerhouse brand because of those kind of health decisions. And they get kids on them early. They have they have they have uh, contracts with schools, so they have Coca Cola, Powerade, you know, Minute Maid, whatever it is. All those companies they own are in schools, so you get into it early. It becomes a normal part of your life, and now you're indoctrinated. If we were doing that with cocaine, we could see a real problem. But we can talk about the other white powder that kills a fuck ton of people called sugar, and we just gloss it over because it tastes good. Like it's it's a normalization of a of of a of a chemical that kills people in in one's way or another. And it's odd. And I don't see a problem. And this is what this is kind of what pushed me to the left in many ways. I don't see a problem taxing the fuck out of that shit. I think there should be a sugar tax. And I think we should get away, do away with this with this bias for high fructose corn syrup, which is actually worse for you than sugar. And it's what we use. And move towards regular sugar. Now, a lot of that sugar came from Cuba, so we'd have to actually have some trade relations with Cuba, which I think people would find problematic, but I think is fine. And actually maybe like use economic leverage to push a little bit of democracy in that country. That'd be nice, but we'll see what happens. So this is a really complex issue. And I just wanted to talk through this a little bit because I think that if we can really, if we, if we can get away, get away from the Charlie Kirk's of the world who are like, it's socialism, it's capitalism. It's, you know, it's this whole thing. It's freedom. It's medical freedom. It's like, well, but let's understand that we need to decide what proper incentives are for our healthcare industry. Yes, we need the innovation. Yes, we do fuel a lot of the innovation around the world with our healthcare industry, but we can also have an, a, a conversation around the incentives and the lack of, of proper healthcare that we do have in this country and seek to be the best. I want America to be the best, right? I want America to have the best healthcare. I want America to have the best infrastructure. I want America to have the best roadways, right? The best education. That's what I want to see from the United States of America. And I don't mean education at the, at the Ivy League level. I'm talking about public school education from the inner cities to the rural areas. I want it to be the best. That to me is America first, not settling. Not settling over somebody fear-mongering you by saying the word socialism in your face a bunch of times. That's frustrating to me. That is super frustrating. And then you have somebody who's paid for by pharmaceutical companies saying that an infrastructure bill is a radical left policy. Right when we're trying to get people, when we have people in this country that don't have clean water, we have Americans. Our fellow Americans don't have clean water, can't get good food, live in a food desert, can't get quality access to healthcare because they can't afford it. Is that is that is that America first? Really? It's something worth thinking about, and it's something. I, it's what pushed me into politics. Our healthcare system 
is what pushed me into politics because I worked as a health and fitness professional. And I saw this and I saw the struggles people had and I saw how people's lives could change just by losing 20 or 30 pounds, like profoundly change people's reality. It was my favorite thing about my old job was taking people. It wasn't taking athletes who were already good and making them better. That was fun. But like taking somebody who didn't think they were capable of doing a pull up, of running a mile of, of, you know, of just like putting in work every day, you know, and changing and helping them, giving them the tools to change their lives and take more autonomy and more responsibility for themselves. That's huge. We don't emphasize that in this country at all. At all. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Just go walk around the block. Get some sunshine. You know, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I don't care. Get a dog so it makes you want, 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 want to go out and take them for walks. Like These are things that we could talk about on the national scale and have these really fun conversations on the nas- at the national level, and we just don't. And I think so much of that is because of the incentive structure. I mean, we saw this with Michelle Obama trying to do her, like, let's like get out and move campaign or whatever it was. Yeah, Coca-Cola was like, nah, dog, that's not how we roll. That's not how we do this. And it's worth talking about. It really is. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, single payer is the best. Oh, I think we need a public option. And I think we need regulations around that public option that um, would keep insurance companies from just dumping the sickest people onto the federal government because it hurts their bottom line. That, I think that's a good move. I think that's a step in the right direction. And I think it would be really great um, to have doctors working in those areas, right? Because you can't keep your doctor right now if you switch insurance companies. I know we had this whole conversation. Well, what do people want to keep their doctor? Well, if you switch from you know one healthcare provider to another one, then you're out of network, you lose your doctor anyways. So that's not really even an argument, right? If you change jobs and get a new healthcare provider, well, say goodbye to your doctor if he's in a different network. So it's it's all a bunch of it's all a bunch of um, in my opinion propaganda and it's very it's hyper biased but it's one thing I really wanted to dive into like I said and I, and I think it's a conversation that we need to have more and more about how we can incentivize a wellness in this world and if you want to choose otherwise it's a free country do what you want to do but I think we should, people people don't have the information and the options even in health classes in high school and junior high even in PE, there needs to be more education around that and how that actually impacts someone's quality of life, how it can financially impact you to be in a be- in better shape. These are all things that I think we should have a conversation about and something I'm incredibly passionate about. So drop any comments down below and, and, and reach out to me if you have any thoughts on this. I know we have a lot of healthcare professionals in the Patreon and in the audience. So let me know what's up and we'll just continue the conversation. I, I do love talking about this. All right, let's get into this here. So Trump... Um, Trump took a jab at Rand Paul and I'm not going to put it up here, but he was basically, uh, getting mad at Rand Paul for endorsing a candidate, a different candidate than he endorsed and, and helping that person raise some money. Um, and Trump's candidate ended up winning overwhelmingly. And this guy just shits on Rand Paul, right? Which is so weird that he's attacking somebody in his own party. Who's actually doing a lot of work to stand up for medical freedom and, and doing things like keeping people from getting vaccine passports. And he's been in this situation here where Rand, I don't like Rand Paul a lot, but every now and then, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've gained respect for him in the way that he's held Fauci accountable and these different things that he's done. All that stuff has, seen, has really been um, impressive to me in the way that he's, he's, he's presented himself and acted in this past six or seven months. So that being said, you have Trump who I think gets upset. I really do think that Trump gets upset that someone else in the Republican Party is, is not following his line and is... is getting attention because he's such a child. He's such a fucking petty little bitch. And it's so annoying to me to watch this asshole like shit on someone and, and try and divide his party whenever this person's actually putting their money where their mouth is and standing up to Fauci, which is something Trump never did. He just cried about it like a little bitch again because Trump is a fucking bitch. 
Like that guy is a fucking bitch. And I cannot, I, I, people get mad at me for not liking him. It's like, get, do I, I don't have a reason to like him. I don't have, I actually have some integrity and, and, and some, and some principles when it comes to who I respect. It's not something that's just given at all. So the same thing about Obama. Like this isn't, this is a principled stance. This is, I, you know, I go, I say the same thing about Hillary Clinton. Like this is, a, he's a fucking politician, but he's a whiny little bitch about it. And that's one thing that Obama didn't necessarily do. He does complain about some things, but he's not so, he's not so cunty about it. It's so weird. But anyway, so Trump went ahead and jumped in and I want to, I want to look at this here and I want to see, this is what Rand Paul just put out. He actually was suspended from YouTube for a few different things for um, saying that masks aren't necessarily aren't necessarily as helpful as we think they are, especially cloth masks. And this is somebody who is a fucking MD and a surgeon, right? So he's a senator on one hand, and he's a medical doctor, and he can get suspended from YouTube for his opinions on things like masks and lockdown uh, effectiveness. That's really odd to me, and it's, it's quite a bit of an overreach um, from a private company. I do say so. I mean, I, I, I think about this, and I think about, well, okay, so if we go back to when the Iraq war started, um, I think Bernie Sanders was one of the only senators to vote against the Iraq war. And then we, we could look at that now and be like, yeah, that was definitely not very well thought out 22 years later. And uh, what's happened over there and how the Taliban is just taking over. We could have left 15 years ago. The same thing would have happened. The Taliban just would have taken over. Now it's this whole thing. And we have people on the right being like, we need to stay there forever. We need to permanently occupy, which I disagree with on every, on every level. It's like a lot of innocent people are going to die. And we also armed the Taliban because we didn't like Saddam Hussein. So like we can't be mad at the monster we created doing exactly what we created them to do. Right? So there's some accountability there. But anyways, if you were speaking out against the Iraq war, right? And we live in the same environment we have now, you would be censored. That's the world. If you don't take the line of the federal government, you get censored. And that's odd to me. No matter if you're, maybe you're an ex-military general, right? And you're speaking out against the Iraq war. If we live in the same climate we live in now, you would be censored, right? If whenever 9-11 happened, if you were like, ah, I'm a little bit, I don't know. There's a little bit, there's some holes in the story here about 9-11. Like we don't bring up Saudi Arabia in this, even though 14 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis, but they get a, a free pass and we're going to invade Iraq. Like that, that would have gotten censored in this environment. Now all that stuff are valid. Those are all valid questions. And you can have those conversations. But if you don't toe the, toe the the federal government's line on COVID, even if you're in the federal government and an MD, you can get censored. So let's see what Rand has to say here and just kind of contrast this with what Trump has to say. It's time for us to resist. Preach. They can't arrest all of us. They can't keep all of your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed, although I've got a a long list of ones they might keep closed or might ought to keep closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. Nancy Pelosi, you will not arrest or stop me or anyone on my staff from doing our jobs. We have either had COVID, had the vaccine, or been offered the vaccine. We will make our own health choices. We will not show you a passport. We will not wear a mask. We will not be forced into random screenings and testings so you can continue your drunk with power reign over the Capitol. President Biden, we will not accept your agency's mandates or your reported moves towards a lockdown. No one should follow the CDC's anti-science mask mandates. And if you want to shut down federal agencies again, some of which aren't even back to work yet, 
I will stop every bill coming through the Senate with an amendment to cut their funding if they don't come back to work in person. Local bureaucrats and union bosses, we will not allow you to do more harm to our children again this year. Children are not at any more risk from COVID than they are from the seasonal flu. Every adult who works in schools has either had the vaccine or had their chance to get vaccinated. There is no reason for mask mandates, part-time schools, or any lockdown measures. Children are falling behind in school and are being harmed physically and psychologically by the tactics that you have used to keep them from the classroom during the last year. We won't allow it again. If a school system attempts to keep children from full-time in-person school, I will hold up every bill with two amendments, one to defund them and another to allow parents the choice of where the money goes for their child's education. Do I sound fed up to you? That's because I am. I'm not a career politician. I practiced medicine for 33 years. I graduated from Duke Medical School. I've worked in emergency rooms. I've studied immunology and virology and I ultimately chose to become an eye surgeon. I've been telling everyone for a year now that Dr. Fauci and other public health bureaucrats were not following the science, and I've been proven right time and time again. But I'm not the only one who's fed up. I can't go anywhere these days without people coming up and thanking me for standing up for them, whether I'm at work or at events in Kentucky, at airports, in restaurants, or in stores. People thank me for taking a stand. They thank me for standing up for actual science, for standing up for freedom, for standing against mandates, lockdowns, and bureaucratic power grabs. I think the tide is turning as more and more people are willing to stand up. I see stories from across the country of parents standing up to the unions and school boards. I see brave moms standing up and saying, my kids need to go back to school in person. I see members of Congress refusing to comply with petty tyrant Pelosi. We are at a moment of truth and a crossroads. Will we allow these people to use fear and propaganda to do further harm to our society, economy, and children? Or will we stand together and say, absolutely not, not this time, I choose freedom. So this is one of the things I wanna bring up here. Because I, I really like what he had to say. And this is one of the areas of politics where I do lean quite a bit right. It's what makes me politically homeless. And many people in this audience, I know, we can have, because I can, I want to have the conversation about a single-payer healthcare system or a public option. I want to talk about investing in infrastructure. I want to talk about the role of the federal government and getting more from the federal government, not less, uh, while also limiting its power where it makes no sense in reforming that, right? I want to have a conversation about maybe privatizing the DMV while nationalizing our pharmaceutical industry. These are things that I want to talk about that would put me on the left, but in this area, I very much lean right, and, and where the political winds are blowing, that's where I'm at, and I really appreciate Rand Paul for that. But then you have this fucking cunt Trump who just like wants to fucking cry about something and wants is desperately crying out for attention. It's so abundantly clear what this man is doing. And I just want to say, like, look at the difference there. Look at the difference in that guy and this video right here. We will have a very successful vaccine, therapeutic and cure. We're making tremendous progress. I deal with these credible scientists, doctors, very, talking about Fauci, closely. by the way. I have great respect for their minds, and uh, they have come up with things, and they've come up with many other cures and therapeutics over the years. These are the people that I best, do not miss listening to this fucker talk. Brilliant anywhere. 
And they've come up with uh, the AIDS vaccine. They've come up with or the AIDS, and they, as you know, there's various things, and now various companies are involved. Can you not just read a teleprompter, the you fucking moron? therapeutic for AIDS. AIDS was a death sentence, and now people live a life. Let's, let's talk about AIDS real quick. So Fauci, during the AIDS crisis, had everyone freaked out. I'm 34 years old. Okay, I remember being terrified as a six-year-old that I was going to get AIDS from a door handle. Okay? I was scared of having sex for a long time. Because I was scared I was going to get AIDS. Okay? Even with the condom, I was scared I was going to get AIDS. And that's Fauci. You know what the odds are of, as a heterosexual, having vaginal intercourse, what your odds are of getting AIDS? Like, less than your odds of fucking dying of COVID as a 20-year-old. That's where we're at. And that was Fauci's fear-mongering bullshit. And here, Trump is praising that asshole. With a pill. It's an incredible thing. The Ebola vaccine and others, these are the people that have done it, or these are the people that have been around it, and they're all competing. It's an incredible thing. All of these brilliant firms, labs, companies are competing, and I will tell you, we're very far advanced. We've already started tests and trials, so I think we're going to have- And already started the process to give them a liability shield. Thank you, Trump, for that. So if if something does happen, their asses are covered. Pro-business, yay. Very, very good answer to that very, very soon. I always say, even without it, it goes away. But if we had the vaccine, and we will, if we had therapeutic or cure, one thing sort of blends into the other, it will be a fantastic day. And I think that's going to happen, and it's going to happen very soon. Has anybody missed that guy? Like, really? Is that where we're at as a nation, where that's, that's the situation we're in? Whenever Rand Paul's out here actually putting his money where his mouth is and backing it up with evidence and having articulate conversations and holding Fauci to account, not just crying about him on Twitter. Backing him up with actual information, not just rambling like a jackass. So, props to Rand Paul. Now, I did call Rand Paul some names whenever he was talking about not bringing over the Afghani um, uh allies that we had because they were going to be fucking butchered and their families were going to be butchered and they needed some sanctuary. And and even though he spoke out against that, it did pass. It is happening. And I'm really grateful for that. And I think that his view on that was absolutely cowardice and, and completely, completely ridiculous. But that's part of being a principled stance and looking at this based on the issue. I don't buy something just because somebody said it. I buy something because it makes sense and it adds up. And I think that's a really a better way to look at this based on each individual situation, not based on whose mouth it's coming out of. So props to Rand Paul. I hope that the 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 egregious overreach in 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 taking him off of YouTube for a week is is a, a sign to some people on both sides of the aisle that YouTube, Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter have got to get their shit together. They have got to get this is so beyond fucked up. And some something big needs to happen. But shouts to Rand Paul for speaking his mind and doing it, doing so in in a way that is seems to me to be very productive. Oh, well, here's something my conservative listeners are going to be very disappointed in me for discussing. So, or I mean, for praising anyway. So the Senate passed this $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. It says sending key parts of Biden's economic agenda to the House. So 
With the situation, the Senate passed this. This will probably get through the House. It's this $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that is in hard infrastructure. So roads, uh, bridges, water lines, things like that. Hard infrastructure. Now, this is going to be passed with the three-point, right now proposed, $3.5 trillion spending bill um, without Republican votes. So they just need 50 votes, but you got to get Manchin and Cinema on board with that. So we have this. That'll also get negotiated down. That could end up being like $2 trillion. We should end up with something like uh, $2 trillion in new spending here. Um, but they're going to use leftover COVID money that's already been printed, yada, yada, yada. I know all your concerns about inflation. I get it. But we have to be mindful that we cannot keep kicking this infrastructure can down the road. As I said earlier in the show, there are Americans, your fellow Americans, that do not have access to clean water. Okay? Just put wrap your fucking mind around that. No, something else, part of this hard infrastructure bill that I think is absolutely fantastic is broadband internet. Getting broadband internet to everybody, that is a fucking game changer. I think that should be like a public utility. I think it should be high quality. I think we should be able to get this stuff to everyone in the country if they want it. So even if they don't want it, they should have access to it. Okay? So let's go ahead and just look through some of this real quick. The Senate passed a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure plan Tuesday, a huge step for Democrats as they try to push President Joe Biden's sweeping economic agenda through Congress. The legislation, which includes $550 billion in new funding for transportation, broadband, and utilities, goes through with a 69-30 to 30 vote. As 19 Republicans join all 50 Democrats, the chamber in a 50-49 party line vote then proceeded to a budget resolution that would allow Democrats to approve what they see as a complimentary $3.5 trillion spending plan without Republican votes. So this was bipartisan. And this is funny because Trump came out and said, and I know I'm, I'm ripping on Trump a lot today, guys. I mean, if you're a Trump fan, I'm sorry, uh, but it, we got to do what we got to do here. So with that being said, we have the situation where it was bipartisan. 19 Republicans came out even after Trump said, if you vote for this bill, for this infrastructure package, I they called it Biden's far left infrastructure package, which is incredibly ridiculous. Um, I may not endorse you. So he threatened endorsements over votes for this and still got 19, still passed 69 to 30. That shows how much Trump has sway over the party at this point because he's further and further getting removed from the Republican Party, which I think is the best thing for the Republican Party so we can get an actual legitimate candidate and he's not sucking all the air out of the room, which I know when we get to the primaries in 2024, he will be sucking the air out of the room and it, even if he's not on the stage, on the debate stage, he'll still be like doing everything he can to get some attention. I'm sure they'll bring him on Fox News. He'll endorse someone. It'll be a whole thing. But I'm hoping that is less sway than... Um, than he has at this moment. I hope it continues to degrade, and I think that'll be really way better for the Republican Party looking at people that are coming up within the Republican Party that could fill that void in 2024. So this is really interesting. Now, if we go to what's in the Senate Reconciliation Bill, this is where things get debatable, right? Because the, the infrastructure package, Trump had infrastructure week every week for several years, and nothing ever got done. So he's a little bit butthurt about how this was getting passed with Democrats. It actually gives Democrats, it makes them look good, which makes him look bad. And that was more the incentive behind him talking shit. So we look at what's in the reconciliation bill. It says the Senate's released their sweeping $3.5 trillion uh, budget resolution on Monday, the latest step in their drive to expand education, health care, child and child support, or uh, excuse me, child care support, tackling the climate, climate crisis and making further investments in infrastructure. Democratic leaders are hoping to use budget resolution to push through this massive broadening national uh, social safety net envisioned in President Joe Biden's jobs and families proposal 
proposal that have been blocked by Republican opposition. Unlike the bipartisan infrastructure package currently working its way through the chamber, the budget resolution would go through reconciliation, which under Senate rules means it can be passed with 50 Democrat votes alone. GOP lawmakers have already lashed out about the size of the budget uh, blueprint and multiple provisions the Democrats are considering. The resolution provides recommendations for the Senate Budget Committee and two other committees. The bill itself has yet to be written, but the elements of it will likely be modified as it works through each committee. So we're looking here as what we're talking about is universal pre-K, right? Child care, child tax credit for uh, two years of um, community college paid for, which I think is great. Okay. These are things that I think are really important and I think could really level up the quality of life for a lot of people and give people an, a, a pathway out of poverty. I don't think equality of outcomes makes any sense. That's where communism and so the shit loses me, right? Equality of outcomes makes no sense. I'm very aligned with like Jordan Peterson in that situation, but people don't understand this that Jordan Peterson, if he was an American would be on the left. Okay. So like, let's keep that in mind with the way that he looks at things. And when you think about the modern left, I actually had a little bit of a uh, debate with a friend over this the other day. When you think about the modern left, everybody wants to think it's like blue haired, uh, uh, trans liberals screaming in the streets, the modern left people like me, um, and I'm not gonna put myself in the same like category as Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi because they're incredible. But the, it, it, when you think about that, it's like, I resonate with people on the left for a reason. So does Matt Taibbi. So does Glenn Greenwald. So does Tulsi Gabbard. So does Joe fucking Rogan, right? Like that's a lot of the modern left, a, a large portion of the modern left aligned with those people, not blue haired hippies, right? So we got to keep that in mind here. And I think that we could do a lot with child care that's paid for with two years of community college. You know what you can do with two years in, in, a, in a community college? Get your nursing degree, get your nursing certificate, get your teaching certificate. These are things you can do with a couple years of free education. That's huge. Now, what I would like to see here is trade schools. What I would like to see in this human infrastructure package is paid for trade schools, because in my opinion, and this is somebody who grew up in a very blue collar area of Texas, and I have so much respect and admiration for blue collar workers. You think like if you're an investment banker making a million dollars a year, I don't really give a fuck what your student loans are, right? But the people that really make this world go around mechanics, plumbers, welders, oil and gas technicians, right? Electricians, framers, concrete pourers, right? These people make the world go around. Okay. You've invested in real estate. Like we're looking at buying into real estate, doing that kind of move. Great. It's a great investment for the, for the hyper privilege. You know who makes that go around people who pour the fucking foundation, people who frame it, people who do the plumbing, people who maintain it, people who install the fucking dishwasher. None of that shit exists. None of that shit exists without the human infrastructure. And giving people access to that is the best fucking way, in my, the best way to get out of poverty. If you grew up poor, go to fucking trade school, become a welder, boom. In two years, when you're a master welder, at least $100,000 a year you can demand. You can demand. That will pull a family out of poverty. My family grew up poor as fuck. My grandmother and grandfather who raised me, my grandfather dropped out of school in the seventh grade. My grandmother picked cotton when she was a kid before and after school. Okay. They grew up, became a millionaire. You know, how he became a millionaire fucking oil and gas. Okay. He was a fry cook and then he started working on a pulling machine, an oil rig. Right. And then he started running a pulling machine. Then he bought a pulling machine. Right. That's how people move up in this world. And that's still possible. And it's not really possible in the, in, in the, in the elite universities and the elite fucking uh, like corporate jobs. 
That's not how that works anymore. But in the blue collar world, it does work like that sometimes. Way more often. Way more often. It's so much more sustainable. You are fucking essential. Investment bankers and hedge fund managers are not essential employees. But your fucking plumber is pretty goddamn essential, isn't he? Or she. Your roofer is pretty fucking important, isn't it? So let's keep that in mind. Let's get these trade schools paid for by the federal government because we have a crumbling fucking infrastructure that we just had to invest several trillion dollars into. And we don't have the human capital to maintain that infrastructure. So we're going to end up in the same situation in 30 years. Invest in the fucking trade schools. Now, the community college is a great start. If you can go cut your student loans in half by having tuition-free uh, college for the first two years, highly recommended. If you're not able to pay for your college and you want to take out seventy dollars or $80,000 in student loans, do those, take advantage of those first two years at a community college. I know you lack the college experience, but in the whole scheme of things, your life is probably going to be better without it anyways. Do that. Get your basics done. Do it in high school. Do it early. If you're gonna, and, then, and then go to school. If you want to be a nurse, take advantage of that. Want to be a teacher? Take advantage of that. We should be pay, We should be making sure that the, the positions that we need that are essential in this country are taken care of. And that's the role, and in my opinion, in many ways, the role of the federal government. I don't care if the parents, the kids' parents are millionaires. If they want to be a fucking nurse, that should be taken care of. If they want to be a teacher, that should be taken care of. We need those people. We need them. <sighs> it's interesting, but I think this whole thing is absolutely fucking necessary. We need something like this. Now, I know a lot of people are concerned about the rise of socialism in this country, okay? The number one way to ensure that socialism is a popular topic is increase the fucking income inequality in this country. Increase it. Broaden the gap between the poorest and the richest. That is the guaranteed way to continue to have a conversation around socialism. You know what the, the New Deal, right? FDR's New Deal was a, a solution that was going to keep revolution from happening. There was a budding revolution from the labor from the from the labor force of this country. It was going to revolt. And the New Deal stopped that. Does that seem in any way similar to what's happening right now? At all. You want to talk about black and brown communities moving themselves out of poverty? Fucking free trade schools, man. What are we doing here? Reliable, consistent, high-income jobs. Essential jobs. That's so good. That could change the fucking world. At least our country. And we ignore it. And then we can't even have the conversation because conservatives want to say that that's, uh, that's, that's uh, too big of an increase in government spending and it's not, our role, it's not the responsibility of the federal government while they subsidize all kinds of fucking bullshit and have 800 military bases around the country. Around the world, excuse me. So we got to be like, what is the role of government if it isn't this? I, 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 this is a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, between people that are lean left and people that lean right. Now, the far right and the far left can fuck off, but people that are like centrist, right? In some form or fashion. Can we not have a productive conversation on this? And now we see with 19 conservatives voting for this or Republicans voting for this, this infrastructure package, clearly... Their constituents wanted it. Clearly, they did some polling to realize that, hey, maybe the people in their in their county, state, whatever, want roads that aren't shitty. Want to be able to, want to, give to even if they're poor, be able to give their kids an opportunity to education without putting them in $100,000 in debt through the fucking scam that is student loans. 
And I think going even further, student loan forgiveness should be a part of this as well. Why wouldn't it be? It's predatory fucking lending. It's not that much different than payday lenders. It's predatory as fuck. 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds are not capable of making quality decisions. That's the reason that they go to the military. (laughs) Because they haven't really figured out what the fuck they're doing. They're impressionable. And they feel like they're supposed to do a thing. And they're intimidated. That's not a way to... But if, if, okay, so if somebody says, hey, I want uh, $70,000 to go to college, student loan. Okay, you'll never be, for, you can't go bankrupt from that. It's guaranteed. Okay. Hey, I want uh, a $10,000 loan so I can get a car so I can go to work. Absolutely fucking not. That's how 18-year-olds are treated at the bank. I'd like to, I'd like to be able to get an automobile loan as an 18-year-old so I can get a car so I can go to work. So I can drive to work or I, Hey, I, I'm starting a, I'm doing a landscaping company. I need to, I need a loan so I can buy uh, a truck and a trailer, $20,000 and some equipment to get started. Absolutely fucking not. 18 year old can never do that at a bank without a co-signer, but you could put yourself in six figure debt for college. Does that make any fucking sense to anybody? It's a fucking joke. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is wild. This is wild. It's a horror. This is insane. And we've got to do something with it, but we've got to be also be able to provide and other countries provide education. It should be a thing. It's a, it increases the quality of life. It pays for itself in many ways. In many ways. And you can't sit here. If you sit here and say, if you, if you okay, let's just say the $1 trillion bill, right? The first one. If you believe in America first and you ignore the fact that Americans don't have clean water, you're a fucking idiot. You were a fucking idiot. What do you think? How, what is your solution to that problem then? They don't deserve they don't deserve water because they live in a poor area of Flint, Michigan. Come on, guys. We got to have a real conversation about this and I am actually pretty stoked on both of these infrastructure bills and I I'm super curious cuz we've never done something like this before. We've never done something like this before where they reach in and say, "Hey, these 2 years of community college are fucking paid for." They're paid for. Not, "Hey, we're going to give the big we're going to we're going to back up the big banks loans so that they balloon over time." No. Let's not do that. Let's not have that conversation. And to bring this back around to like healthcare and shit, it's like what what kind of what kind of information would we get from the federal government if the federal government held the bag for poor health choices? We'd probably get better health information, wouldn't we? Because they don't want to fucking pay for that. Conservatives would be like, dude, get these people healthy because this is fucking expensive. I would love to see that. And we're seeing a move towards that. I think that's I think it's a, that's productive. I really do. And I know I just wanted to kind of ramble about some things today and just kind of put some ideas out there. And I love, you know what I fucking love about this community? What I love about the politically homeless community? I'm sitting here talking about things and I know right now there are people out there listening to this that do not agree with me at all. That vehemently disagree with me. But you guys fucking listen. And I listen to you when you reach out, as long as you're not a dick about it. And that's beautiful. That's something. That changes the conversation. That changes the way that we believe and what we believe, how we act, how we communicate. This is being, listening to this and having a dialogue, right? Maybe you bring up something I said with a friend of yours. Or maybe you bring up something I said and say why I'm wrong to a friend of yours. Or maybe you bring up something that you think and then somebody else says something similar to what I said. And you guys have a conversation about it while you're driving around, doing whatever, out at lunch, out at dinner, getting a beer, whatever. That's, that's being part of the solution, whether we agree or not. 
And that's amazing. That's just, I, I, I just love, I love thinking about that. I really do. It means a lot to me. But I think we can create a more innovative society, a more productive society by offering some things that some people will consider government overreach. I don't. Like trade schools, like tuition-free community college for all as many years as you want. And people are still going to go to Ivy League schools and spend a quarter million dollars to do whatever. But that's not necessary, right? If you want to do that, if you choose to do that, you choose to get yourself in student loan debt, that's fine. But it's not required. Because at this point, college is basically required to have any kind of, you know, white-collar job. And that's your world. That's one thing. So I think that this climate issue, you know, I think, I think creating some boundaries around climate will actually drive innovation. We're seeing things now like there was a, a huge breakthrough um, with batteries are being able to, there's a, there's a company, a startup that's doing a, uh, making headway and making batteries out of iron, which would be much better for the environment, much better for our trade relations because iron is easily um, sourced, right? Much more than like uh, lithium and things like that that are used for batteries, uh, childcare, tuition-free community college, uh, higher education support, pay, paid paternity leave and maternity leave. That's huge. Right, So if you have a kid, and the government supports your company and giving you more paid leave to be a better parent. That's going to pay dividends down the road. That creates healthier, healthier, uh, healthier households, healthier children. That's huge. Expanding the child's tax credit, Medicare drug price negotiation. That's huge. That's going to save people. That's going to save the government and human beings billions of dollars over 10 years. Billions. That's better for America, man. It really is. And I think sometimes, you know, we have this idea that like we have to have this kind of laissez-faire situation for innovation to be be the case. And I want to I, I want to counter that because I don't believe that's true. I think, and I've talked to many creatives, some of the best in the world, maybe photographers, different people like that, and a lot of them follow this Dr. Seuss model. And I believe in the same thing. Dr. Seuss wrote all of his books using something like. 270 words. I'm not exactly sure what the exact number is. Maybe it was 300 or around, but it was 270 something or 300 words that a fourth grader could understand or a third grader could understand that a child could read. So he gave himself boundaries, right? And because of that, he innovated. May not know this, but Dr. Seuss invented the word nerd. Nerd was not a word pre, I'm rhyming a lot here. Nerd was not a word pre Dr. Seuss. Because he had to make up a word to fit in. Because it had to be a word that a child could read. Innovation comes. Creativity grows within some restriction, right? Within some restriction. Now, if you said you can't, you can only use this many words and you can't make any up, well, that changes things, right? That's too much restriction. But we have to think about healthy innovation happens within restrictions. And if we, through like climate um climate uh, regulations, things like that, then what we may find is something like what Toyota is doing right now. I'm a huge Toyota fan. I love Toyota. I think America makes shitty cars, and I think Toyota makes some of the best cars on the, on the, in the, on the planet. Now, they're coming out with their 2022 Tundra, which I'm very excited about, and then they're going to have their 2023 redesign on the on the um, 4Runner, which I drive a 2019 4Runner. Love the car. Best car I've ever had. Incredible ride. So what they're doing now is they're completely doing away with the V8. And even in the 4Runner, I don't even know they're going to have a V6 option. 
What they're doing is a twin turbocharged V6 in the Tundra that has 460 horsepower, right? And I think they're going to do a twin turbo four-cylinder in the 4Runner. And they're going to get around 25 to 30 miles per gallon in a truck and a heavy SUV. I get 14 to 16 on a good day. So the combination of that, that innovation that came from climate restrictions, right? Moving away to where now a twin turbo V6 has more juice than a fucking V8. That's innovation. That's innovation that came from restrictions. Tesla is innovation that came from restrictions. And it's huge. And we're seeing that now. So we got to think more nuanced about innovation. We got to think more nuanced about what our government is supposed to do. Just a thought. And speaking of just thinking, it's that beautiful time of the show where I give you something to think about. So I tuned in the other day to, um, to, <laughs> can't even say it with a straight face. I tuned in the other day to Mike Lindell's, um, Mike Lindell's voter fraud symposium <laughs> or some shit just for a little while. These people are freaking out, right? About voter fraud and machine switching and machines that weren't connected to the internet, but somehow were influenced to switch votes. You know, and I was actually, whenever the whole voter fraud thing came out, I was like, oh my God, this would be so cool. This is actually real, right? Because that would create a fucking, it would just create the kind of chaos that I think would be productive where it's like, oh man, maybe, maybe Trump really did win. And this is going to be a whole thing. This would be so fucking cool if this actually happened, but it didn't happen. It was bullshit. But for a brief moment there, I was like, this could be great. This would just be great for content, right? <laughs> it would be terrible for the country for a little while, but I think we would totally completely reform our voting system. And when I started thinking about voting systems, I started seeing this really funny debate that was happening. And this is what I wanted to bring up on something to think about today. Is this debate versus, it's, it's voter ID versus mail-in ballots, which I think is the silliest fucking debate of all time. I'm going to tell you why. So, we have this idea where it's like, if everybody gets a ballot, there's going to be voter fraud that's rampant, right? And the lack of voter ID laws makes voter fraud rampant. And then everybody's like, well... People need to be able to get their ballots and mail them in because they can't. They don't. We don't have a national holiday for elections, which I think is absolutely absurd. It, the, the, our elections are a beautiful thing. The fact that we have the freedom and the democracy to elect officials is a beautiful thing. It's much. It's it's equally as beautiful as any other national holiday. I would say it's more amazing than Christmas. Right. That's a. It's a. It's it's something that makes this country what it is. It, it's it's one of the greatest things about this country is the fact that we get to have free and fair elections, and that's something that is very important. It's very important, and we don't do a great job of it. We have kind of like democracy-ish right now, and we could do better, right? There's ways we can go about it. I think doing away with a two-party system and implying some kind of ranked choice voting with more candidates would be much more democratic, and I think there's going to be an uprising that will drive something like that. It, with the situation we have now, with two main parties running the debates, uh, with all, they essentially have a duopoly on on elections. That's 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 um, that's antitrust, right? That's like that's a fucking problem. That's the same as it's the same as it's it's even worse than a business duopoly in my opinion, right? Because now you you have um, you have essentially this never ending conversation that is the lesser of two evils. But we'll we'll save that conversation for another time. What I wanted to talk about was this false 
like um, this false idea that you have either universal mail mail in ballots or voter ID. And I, when I look at this and I started thinking about it, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't think voter ID is racist. That's weird to me. And I don't think that mailing everybody a ballot is a bad idea. So I was in this, you know, I was in t- my typical politically homeless position on this deal. But when I look at it, I was like, all right, why don't we do this? Right. I was actually sitting at a, uh, at a convenience store when I thought this up. It's like, why don't we do this? Universal mail out ballots, right? So everybody gets a ballot at home and voter ID laws from the federal level. And here's why. Hear me out. The ballots being mailed to you. I'm going to tell you why the convenience store makes this make sense. The ballots being mailed to you are great. I think it's a great thing to have a ballot ballot mailed to you and one that you can fill out and turn in, right? I didn't mail mine in. I used a mail-in ballot, but I dropped it off at a drop box, um, which I was like, it's kind of weird that I can just drop this off at a drop box without anybody checking my ID. And there was only like a, a signature. I was like, I should probably have to put like the last four digits of my social or like maybe there's a few options like last four digits of the social or your, um, you know, something that identifies you, driver's license number, something like that, right? Passport number. There's plenty of IDs you can use. We have lots of IDs, right? I mean, shit, you can almost even use like a credit card or something like that just because it has all your information on it. So my thought was, okay, that was great. I liked, I liked opening my ballot. I liked researching. I like, no, just give myself a chance to look at this, having a discussion with, with my fiance about what we think is best, about some of these things that are local that are actually really important, right? We had to talk about the reintroductions of wolves in Colorado was something we voted on. Um, late-term abortions were another thing we had to vote on that was, that was really tricky. We wanted to talk out, and, and, and you didn't really have the opportunity to do that within you know, the confines of a, of a ballot box. Um, so I thought about, I was like, well, okay, but also voter ID, I feel like is a really good idea because we need to make sure these people are only citizens should be able to vote. I don't think illegal immigrants should be able to vote. And that puts me in the middle, right? I'm in this weird place. So I thought about it. I was like, well, I look over at the gas station. I go, there's a red box right there. And there's not very many red boxes around, but I was like, why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? We have the typical voting that we have now with the ballot boxes, right? Where you walk in a little, you have a little curtain, you do your thing, right? There's a paper backup. And then in the same way that you like run a Scantron and a test, something like that, you have your ballot that you gets mailed to everybody. Everybody gets it. And the reason you would get a ballot is so that you can research and know what you're going to vote for. And maybe you, maybe you just fill out the ballot that you get mailed to you and you take it in with you using voter ID. So you only get one vote. And you use that as kind of a cheat sheet, right? Or maybe they have a cheat sheet that tears off. It's like the different the different uh, things that you made out. You know, it's like, it'll be like amendment this, whatever, you know. Just like whatever word that is. It's like, you don't really know what it is. You have to really look into it. And sometimes they're worded kind of weird. So you got to really do your research if you want to be that engaged. Giving people the opportunity, opportunity to be more engaged, I feel like is a really good, a really good idea. So... I thought, why don't we just do this red box thing? We have the, the the ballot boxes that are normal, but also if I fill out my ballot at home, I can walk up to a, essentially the opposite of a vending machine, okay? Scan my ID or scan my passport or scan even maybe even a credit card or something like that that has my information, right? Something that can confirm me. Maybe I've used a credit card, you need two forms of ID. We can figure that out. It's not that complicated, right? Those systems, those boxes are pretty easy. You run your ballot through, you scan it in. Now it's counted your vote and has a paper backup and has a paper backup, and since we are using voter ID, we can cross-reference, because if somebody does slip, slip through the cracks, God forbid, use the box, that I'm calling the red box system, and then goes and votes in a, in a ballot box, right? We're both using voter ID, 
and be able to cross-reference. And anybody who slips with the correct, there's always going to be a little bit of voter fraud, but I think that there would be so little at that point with the cross-references that are very clear that you wouldn't have a lot of people voting twice and you wouldn't have the same situation because you can't turn that ballot in. You can't just go drop it in the equivalent of a trash can, right? That, that just holds votes and they just cross-reference your signature, which is like, my signature on my driver's license is not that close to the signature that I use on paper because I was signing on that little like pad thingy that they have at the DMV. So I'm like, well, why don't we just do both, right? Mail everybody a ballot. You get to use it, whether you want to use it in the ballot box or not. You want to do it traditional style. That's great. But also you can go scan your ID, scan your passport, scan something that confirms your identity, right? Slide your box, slide your ballot in. It scans it. You have a paper backup. Boom. Now you've got two different ways to vote, right? And if we want to mail in, we can go with that driver's license number, passport number, last four digits of your social. Use that as an ID as opposed to the signature thing, which is very odd, right? And do both. So I feel like it's a fake debate, right? I feel like if we could come together and be like, hey, we're going to do voter ID and we're also going to do, do universal mail-out ballots. And I like mail-out ballots, not mail-in ballots because everybody doesn't need to be able to mail it in. You should be able to just drive by. And that way, if it's, um, say you go to your polling place and you've got 50 red box type machines, right? That take in your vote. Well, then you don't have as long lines, but if you want to go do it traditional style, maybe you're old school and you want to go push the buttons on the thing, that's great too. Then we have two different methods or three different methods really because if you have absentee ballots, which are very legit and very important because people that are traveling or out for work or whatever it is, or maybe they're visiting a sick family member, they need to be able to vote in their home state and home district. Why not do those things? Right, But that all kind of hinges on the fact that we need to quit this fake debate over voter ID or universal mail-in ballots. Universal mail-out and voter ID. Combine the two, increase democracy, and increase the security of our elections at the same fucking time. Isn't that beautiful? Now, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm drunk. Maybe I'm high. Who knows? But it seems like a really fucking good idea to me. Well, y'all, it's been a fun one. I appreciate you guys bearing with me here. God, being in pain and like just not being sharp. It's rough, but I got some good sleep. I got my whoop, my whoop band. I don't know if you have one of those, but we're uh, don't buy one yet because we may be getting that sponsorship coming through. Hint, hint. Join the Patreon if you dub, if you love this stuff. Really support the show. I fucking love you guys. Really, you guys mean the world to me. So grateful to be here. Let me know what your thoughts are. I know I kind of went down some rabbit holes today. And always, always, always keep that fucking head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.